0: Welcome to the Sabatu Mansaray journey. I'm your host, Sabatu Mansaray, a Muslima, a woman's empowerment devotee, a physician assistant, and a woman who will never say I can't, but rather a woman that would say, "Let me show you." Join me as I dive deep into faith, empowerment, unity, global health, our beloved Mother Africa. And yes, chic, modest, muslima fashion topics delivered to you in bite sized, fluff free episodes every Tuesday. Welcome to the Sabato Manserai Journey. My dear listeners, our month of faith and adversity continues, and I mentioned that we would have guests on the show to talk to us about how they deal, cope, or manage adversities and trials and how faith plays a role in their lives. Today, I have a guest that manages and addresses the care for those faced with a particular type of trial and adversity, and that is substance use disorder. He is also a man of faith. We are all aware that our trials are all very different, And so we cannot pass judgment on what someone else may be going through. But most importantly, we must show up for our loved ones when they're faced with trials and adversities, regardless if it doesn't equate to the level of importance or seriousness that we think it should be. So with that, my guest today is my West African brother by way of Ghana, Mr. Bernard J.B. Foster, who serves as the executive director for the Turk House Residential Treatment Center in Baltimore, Maryland. Bernard is a trained, licensed clinical professional counselor. Uh, He completed his undergraduate degree from Virginia Commonwealth University, where he received a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology. He continued his education at Liberty University to complete his graduate degree in professional counseling and is currently pursuing an MBA in leadership from Regent University. In 2011, Mr. J.B. Foster became the clinical director of Turk House. In November of 2016, he became the interim executive director where he oversaw the day-to-day operations of the agency. And in March of 2017, he became the permanent executive director of Turk House. When he is not immersed in finding ways to combat the debilitating disease of addiction, he serves as the pastor of Impact for Christ Community Church. This is a neighborhood church that he founded in Edmondson Village in 2016. Bernard, thank you very much for your valuable time today and for being a guest on the
1: show. Thank you so much. My pleasure.
0: Bernard and I crossed paths during my tenure as the assistant director for public health education and treatment task force at the White House. I led a fantastic team of public health advisors and analysts where we provided strategic guidance to the interagency on public health initiatives in the president's national drug control strategy. Now, two of these efforts are in support of treatment and recovery for those suffering with substance use disorder. Now, I'm sure most people do not quite understand the extent of the addiction crisis in the United States and the number of people that are affected by it. Now, if you noticed, I did not say opioid crisis. Instead, I said addiction crisis because it's more than just opioids. But yes, opioids is prioritized due to its higher lethality. But most people actually suffer from polysubstance use knowingly or unknowingly. And this is the fact that they either use various drugs based on availability, what they can afford, the type of response that they're seeking to get at that moment. They're combining prescription medications that depress your central nervous system with other medications that also do the same. Or they're purchasing drugs that are laced with other fatal substances such as fentanyl. Now, that's the unknowing part as the drug dealer may or may not know that the drugs he or she is selling is laced. And if they do know They do not disclose it. Now, I could go on and on about this public health crisis that unfortunately is also making its way to my home country, Sierra Leone, where tramadol pills are being abused. And I want you to hear this part. People are now also drinking the extract from the lining in boiled diapers or pampers, seeking the euphoric feeling of being high. Now, I'm no scientist or even that smart. But it's safe to say that that, that extract has to have some form of toxicity or corrosiveness tied to it, like cancer type toxicity or some sort of end organ damage that can come out of this. Now, again, I say this is not from a scientific standpoint, but more so from just a, a common sense standpoint. This diaper extract thing is also rampant in Indonesia. Now, bottom line, these acts of experimenting, misusing, or abusing medications such as tramadol, even alcohol abuse, results in substance use disorders. Now, I want to set the stage for where America stands in this crisis. In 2018, America lost 67,367 people to a drug overdose. According to the CDC, Two out of three overdoses are from prescription opioids, heroin, or synthetic opioids like fentanyl. Now for my African listeners, while fentanyl's potency and lethality is far greater than tramadol, it is important to note that tramadol is also a synthetic opioid and it places our youth at risk for drug abuse and overdose. The overdose deaths associated with fentanyl in 2018 took the lives of over 31,000 people, not to mention the deaths from cocaine and methamphetamine are also on the rise. Now, as Africans, we must protect our youth, and we must start early, especially as it relates to drug use and its associated consequences. The impacts it can have on their adult life, that is, if they make it to adulthood without dying or being incarcerated, are enormous. And the old saying is true, prevention is better than cure. And for our African governments and health leaders, the cost and impacts of addiction to a country, be it human, economic, or health is immeasurable, and it is a lot to bear. And we must not ignore the state of affairs of our youth. Our youth actually represent our future. And we must ensure that we invest 100% in their future. We will shelf this very important topic on Africa's public health initiatives on substance use disorder for a future episode. But in the meantime, let's put on our innovative hats on how we as Africans can prevent address, and combat drug use in our continent. I would love to hear your thoughts and suggestions. As always, at the end of the show, you will hear the various ways that you can reach me or how we can start a discussion uh, via social media. So now, let's dive into Bernard's work of running a beautiful and effective inpatient treatment facility for substance use disorder clients who obviously have been faced with some adversities and trials. Bernard, you are a very, very busy man doing some amazing work. So first, let me thank you for taking the time to join me in this very important topic. And as someone who was privileged to be part of the White House visit to the opening of your facility and engaging you on challenges you were facing during the start of the pandemic and that you continue to face today with the COVID pandemic, I can say firsthand how valuable your work and those of the other treatment facilities are. See, addiction is a big problem in America and so I want to applaud you for your work and commitment to your community and the nation as a whole.
1: Thank you so much for having me and um, shedding some light on uh, this area of, uh, of health. I think um, uh, you are to be commended for especially for back home in our neighborhoods in Africa that we, we throw more light on this issue of addiction. Uh many a times I think the inclination is that it's only happening in the Western world, but uh I think we've begun to see some of the challenges that are cropping up in in, in the on the continent of Africa. And so once again, thank you for sort of throwing light on this very uh problem.
0: Most definitely. Um, and, and so we're going to start. Uh, I have a few questions for you, but the very first one, of course, as we talk about our, our African continent. Out of curiosity, when did you leave Ghana and how did you get into addiction treatment, this, the, this world of addiction treatment?
1: Oh, boy. It's a long story, but I like <laughs> to keep it. I'll, I'll try to keep it pissing. Um, I left Ghana, I believe, in 1998 uh, with my mother. Uh, we came through New York and, um, uh, and into the States. And of course, um, one of, the, one of the things, one of the sort of, um, driving forces behind my getting into this line of work is just my background. You know, um, uh, I actually went into mental health initially. And then, of course, I uh, wanted to be sort of dual, dual, a dual threat in being able to address behavioral health, uh, related issues. And so, um, just my background, coming from the home that I came from, coming from a, a single-family home. Um, my mother was a single mother. Some of the challenges that I saw growing up, um, uh, you know, and some of the um, the challenges and the sort of the stigma associated with uh, especially from the African community, you know, dealing with mental health and mental-related issues and abuse and all these other things. Those were some of the things that really when I got to the States, um, you know, I think for me, I think God sort of drove me through that angle, being that I've always wanted to be in the helping profession, and so sort of that pushed me, just with my experience, to, to sort of uh, pursue higher education uh, in that type, in that type of field.
0: That that's that's interesting because I I feel like the work that I am about to embark upon in in Sierra Leone is is based on my environment too. So it's, it's interesting that as youth or or as, as young people growing up, uh, our environment and, and what we're exposed to, uh, truly shapes what we either plan to be in life or hope to, to accomplish in life um, and and one of mine well, how I got into the, the, the health field, I'm a physician assistant obviously by trade but how I got into it was the lack of health care uh, when I was growing up in Sierra Leone, the fact that I, I didn't have well baby checks I didn't get routine healthcare visits and uh, to have lived in a country for that long and I only went to the doctor one time uh, and only because my appendix was about to rupture is really why I ended up seeing the doctor. But other than that, it wasn't routine. And and I have children now and I tell them you've been to the doctor more times, even though you're only children, you've been to the doctor more times than I've probably ever been in my entire life. And so it is impressive that based on your upbringing, your environment shaped shaped what you're working on today. And it's the same thing for me, which is why I say it's very important that we invest in our youth. Uh, We have to make what they want to their dreams, what they want to be is not based solely upon the bad that they're growing, going through as a child, but, but there should be some positives as well. So uh, I commend you for taking what you saw as a child and turning it into a positive to help, to help other people. So I, 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 tell us about your, your treatment program, the, the Turk House.
1: So the Turk House um, is a behavioral uh, treatment facility. Uh, we have about five sites. Um, With a capacity of about 250 Um, It was It began in 1970, we've seen over 40,000 Patients uh, Dealing with a myriad of uh, Behavioral uh, related Problems to include even sometimes traumatic issues Uh, But uh, predominantly We are dealing with um, uh, Dual related um, Comorbidities, we are dealing with Substance use disorders, we are dealing with uh uh mental health related disorders and, and 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 that is sort of the gist of it um it started uh based on the fact that there was a need in Baltimore city uh, in the early 70s and uh our founder Dr. Isidore Turk was a psychiatrist and he rolled up his sleeves when there was no funding and all of that and decided to uh treat alcohol addiction so that's how we started Uh, treating alcohol addiction in the early 1970s, and then eventually morphed into many of the other substance-related issues that we see uh, in our society today. Wow,
0: that's that's impressive, and and thank God for people that that, that see a, a problem and they become part of the solution and not just keep talking about the problem. So, uh, kudos to the, 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 or the founder of, of the Turk House. Uh, I know you're a man of faith and most people, when they're tried or have faced adversities, they then turn to God. But when life is good, we tend to forget how that good actually came to be. And some of us neglect our faith and we become part of the worldly life. We, you know, we just, you know, enjoy what we're, we're experiencing at that moment the positive, the good things, and the priority of this show, among many others, is is faith and holding on to it through fortune and misfortune, and not allowing this worldly life to fool you, and don't let it entice you to be negligible um, as it as it relates to your faith, keeping God in remembrance and being grateful. So, Bernard, how has faith played a role in your work?
1: Um, I mean, faith is the is the driving force before, behind. Um Everything that I do, I'm a Christian. I believe in the uh, in Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior. I believe that, um, uh uh, 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 you know, God controls the whole world, and I think just for my personal belief, it would be foolish to neglect the Creator and of the universe, both the visible and the invisible things of this world. And I think I, I work from that framework uh, that says that says that we are dealing with. uh, Entities and spiritual realities that sometimes uh, we tend to negate. Majority of the time we negate. And so for me, my faith is what has really, uh, let's take even the COVID pandemic, Um, my faith has kept me centered with the understanding that God controls my life. And so whether I live or I die, uh, I know everything is orchestrated by God. Does that mean that uh, I don't have a responsibility? Uh, uh, in what goes on No, it means that because of my faith in God My responsibilities and my behavior Are orchestrated from that framework And so my faith in Jesus Christ Is what drives me It drives me in fact uh, To actually be, uh, be uh, available and ready uh, To be able to touch the least of these And if you don't mind I'll just share a quick story yeah. uh, 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 I believe in Matthew chapter 9 uh, 35 thereabouts uh, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he, and he's telling them about coming back, uh, after his resurrection, coming back for a second time. And, 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 and when he comes back, this is how he's going to be judging people. He's going to be judging them by saying, uh, he's going to be judging between two, two categories of people. One, those who followed his, 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 uh, his, his sort of directives and those who didn't. And this is how he sort of quantified. And, qualified, and those who went to the prisons to, 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 to help those prisoners, those who went to uh, uh, hospitals mm-hmm. to, to, to comfort those who were sick and, and those who didn't. And then the disciples asking, uh, 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 how, uh, how, did, how would you be able to know that this is a deal? And then he said, if you did it for the least, any one of these, you did it for me. And so God's way of judgment is seeing how we, we make ourselves available to people in moments like this. And I think that is what, that is the essence of our livelihood and our existence. And so uh, that is sort of at the forefront of everything that I do every day.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting as you as you, you you give us the the Christian version of it because it's the same thing in Islam that that everything we do we do it for God and so my kindness to someone uh, is for, is for the sake of God and 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 I, I should not expect that someone should thank me for it because I'm not doing it for you I'm actually doing it for God and so that's a very interesting uh, uh, correlation and I, this is this is the, again the faith is the essence of this of this of this platform. And, and, um, I love to hear how these faiths, you know, major faiths are actually connected in certain ways. And we believe in, 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 in certain things. And, and this is a, is a very key one that everything, the work that I put in on, on certain projects is, is for the sake of God. And, and you finding a, uh, a uh, founding a, a church is for the sake of God, right? Me building a mosque is for the sake of God. Me being good is for the sake of God. So I applaud you. I applaud you for that in, in keeping your faith. As the f- the focal point of everything that you do, now now I know that in the program you have to manage clients with varying faiths and cultures, and and you and I both know how faiths and cultures and families some of us at least, view addiction as a moral failing. And that could be right. an additional unnecessary barrier that impacts clients, whether it's for them to seek help or even stick with the program because they may lack support from their loved ones. So how do you manage um, as a Christian uh, pastor and you have a interfaith, call it that, interfaith um uh, clients, how do you connect? How do you relate? How do you how do you get them on track? Even though you do not believe in the same things,
1: right? So this is interesting. This question. One of the things that I've I've always been fascinated by the Hippocratic oath of physicians: first, do no harm, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, even in my faith, in my Christian work, I'm not supposed to oh do good to just Christians or mm-hmm. just interact with Christians or just my faith tells me Everybody is God's child And I must deal with them Just as God will deal with them Everybody came out of uh, 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 Abraham and, yes. and Jesus Christ's uh, his, his sort of directive To me mm-hmm. as a Christian Is to be able to exemplify uh, 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 God Not with, by having Oh you are this color or you are that color Or you are this faith, or you are that faith, yes. And so in the program uh, uh, uh we allow spirituality in whatever forms people uh uh want to have them to be able to materialize and so we we are not in this program to dictate how people ought to uh, 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 uh receive treatment and what have you what we do in this program is we collaborate with the patient uh to develop a treatment plan that fits the patient yes okay and so we and so that is it is patient-centered in that regard. Yes. And so spirituality, we, we've had, uh, we've had um, Jews come through, we have Muslims, we have Christians, we have non-believers come through. Yes. At the end of the day, our responsibility in this program is to treat the patient, the totality of the patient, yes. with the understanding that spirituality, or lack thereof, is also part of the patient's makeup. And whatever the patient decides to do, we accommodate uh, that uh, that type of um, uh, um, sort of presentation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, very important thing you said is that you tailor the. Um the treatment plan to the patient, and and we know that addiction treatment is not a one size fit all. Uh, everybody comes with their challenges, um, and, and not everyone actually needs to be an inpatient. Some people can do it right. outpatient. So it's good to know that the patient has an active voice uh, in the in the treatment plan uh, because that's also a a motivation to stick with the program. Like this is something that we agreed upon based on what you can and cannot do, but your Focus is the the holistic approach. It's all of things. It's all encompassing, and and you try to to uh, meet them uh, where you can to make sure that they they stick with the program. So kudos to you uh, uh, on on keeping that in mind because you know some of these 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 treatment facilities, not yours, but there are a lot of them out there that the the. the the way that they approach it is not about the patient; it's about everything else right. other than the patient. And so, uh, and and so, there's no plan that's that's geared towards the patient. It's it's geared towards their 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 pockets, right? And so, uh, right. kudos to you. But but if you were one of those, you wouldn't be around since 1970. So clearly, uh you have demonstrated <laughs> that that's not what you what you do. Those guys last for a few you know for a few months, maybe a year or two, uh, and then they get caught, right? Uh, we, know yep. that, <laughs> we know that we know that that folks struggling with addiction need support and it's not a time to pass judgment or abandon our loved ones. I know the Mm -hmm. family and loved ones are also trying to process where things may have gone wrong. You know, as a, as a parent, you may be thinking, what did I do wrong as a, as a wife or a husband? You're thinking, where did, what did I do wrong? Uh, what did I do wrong? But we all have our trials and burdens to bear. So most important, I, what I want people to to hear or get from this is that let's not pass judgment on people going through uh, a substance use disorder issue. Um, we, we should show up. We need to be understanding. We need to help them manage this thing because I can tell you if they could have managed it on their own, none of us would know they had a problem because all of us are dealing with certain personal, uh, health issues that the world doesn't know about because we're able to kind of sort of manage it on our own. But addiction is a different, different kind of, um, animal, call it that. And, 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 people tend to, we shun folks because they have a substance use disorder. We consider them, they have failed uh, morally, and we, we, we miss big parts to how we got to this place and the lack of control uh, that that these these clients tend tend to have. And so how does someone in your position influence that mindset and encourage those suffering from this chronic disease to seek treatment and rely on the support system within your facility? Because now let's say there's Families have abandoned them. Their loved ones have loved loved ones have abandoned them. How are you able to influence that mindset to encourage them to be now their new support system within your facility?
1: Um, uh, so, so I think, um, especially if you have circles, you know, every patient um, uh, um, that comes in here, um, uh, there's there's a challenge of their readiness to to make changes in their lives, right, and uh, And we understand that addiction is a disease, which is, uh, you know, it's been a struggle. Uh, Even in the United States, it was just recent years that, you know, that understanding came to fruition. uh, Back in the day, you know, uh, back in the sort of self-help, AA type of model, abstinence-based programs. Back in those days, you know, everybody thought it was a behavior that you could just stop, right? It wasn't until recent years that we've known that it's a, chemi- it, you know, addiction is a, is, a, is a chemical brain related disease mm-hmm. that, you know, once, uh, once a person is, is, is in that sort of phase, it's just like cancer or kidney disease. Mm-hmm. You know, cancer, a cancer can be in remission and then boom, there could be another episode. And so at least for, for, for us here, especially for me, anytime you talk about addiction, uh, sorry, to, uh, many people are saying, oh, substance use. Yeah, many of us are addicted to so many things, oh, yeah. whether we know it or not. And yeah. So when we talk about addiction, even gambling, you know, many yeah. people don't talk about gambling. Yeah, the the only highlight, the only focus is usually drug related. Yeah, but there are many forms of addiction, and so sometimes, you know, you know, when I used to be sort of uh, now I'm in this position, I'm more of an administ- in the administrative role. But because I like the clinical model so much, sometimes I will spend time with patients, mm-hmm. and I will just sort of. Broaden their minds when we talk about addiction Because they look at me and they're like You? Nah, you never was addicted to anything And I'm like there are so many addictions that you guys don't know yeah. And once I start opening those sort of doors to many patients yeah. Then they are more asked to say Oh wow, they can take yeah. what we are trying to present to them That's To understand that many of us have gone through yeah. Many other forms of addiction yeah. That may not just be similar to theirs but it's also addiction nonetheless. And so that is, uh, that is the approach we take uh, 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 with patients, especially those who are uh, sort of re- are prepared and ready to receive change. And then those, for those who are not, we are still there with them, encouraging them and letting them know we are ready whenever they are uh, to be able to address what it is that they want to be able to address.
0: Yeah, it's a very good point about addiction. I, I agree. We hear the word addiction and everybody just goes to, you know, opioids and, 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 and other drugs and, there's there's food addiction. There are people that just eat and eat yep. and eat and eat. Yep. Right? Uh, yep. I, every every now and then, I, I watch uh, my six hundred pound life, and I, and and yep. and it's an addiction. That's the way that the doctor kind of approaches the problem. Um, but even shopping, right? There's some, shopping, some of us women. Right. <laughs> some of us women, we cannot and, <laughs> and
1: men and <laughs> men.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. So I agree. And, and again, and there's there's some of us that are just wired that way about that reward system, right? We we just have to have. That instant, call it that instant gratification of things, and so while ours may not be um, uh, as more, you know, looked upon negatively, it actually actually is affecting people's lives. You know, the, the the people that are into gambling and the shopping and 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 all of that, they they run out of money. They, some of them cannot even live anymore. They can't, so they can't yeah. pay their rents. They can't do, you know, so there, there are so many forms of addiction. So I'm glad that you, you kind of mentioned that because it's important that we, we, we look at addiction uh as a, it, it's a chronic disease, just like diabetes, just like any other chronic medical condi- condition, but we don't judge the person who's diabetic we don't say well mm-hmm. you created this yourself right we don't judge that person we yep. say oh that's just what's supposed to happen you, you you're getting older that's what's supposed to happen no not necessarily right or the person yep. with heart disease we don't judge we just say, oh it's just an unfortunate situation they, they have heart problems well it's the same thing because it's all chronic disease um and and we shouldn't blame people for the conditions that they have uh and nor do we nor should we shun family members or friends because we don't do it with our family members that have diabetes or a shopping problem, but yet we do it for those that have uh, that have an addiction problem. I think it's also important that folks know that addiction is a complex disease that affects the brain, making it rather difficult for people to have self-control or resist the urge. Now, again, we're talking about addiction as a whole. Take out drugs. It is a self-control problem from our brain. As I said, some of us want that instant gratification. Some of us are that that reward-seeking part of our brain is just gets excited about things. And this complex disease is what leads to in 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 the drug space now is what leads to the drug-seeking behavior that is difficult to control, despite the consequences. Because now, once you're in that state, you you don't even care what's going to happen. You're just going to go and do what you have to do to get where you need to get to regardless. And even though you may understand that this may be a problem, you don't care about the consequences that come with it. And it's the same thing with the guy or girl that gambles, the same thing with the guy or girl that um, eats food, uh, and the same one that does the shopping. Because bottom line, it's a compulsive issue. Now, having access to quality treatment and sticking with the treatment is key. There's so many stories where people start and stuff. They go through treatment uh, multiple times throughout their lives, and eventually, you know, it, it all comes together. Uh, there have been approved medications for the treatment of opioid use disorder that have been proven very successful, and you couple that with behavioral health therapy, and this is what, you know, Bernard was, was alluding to before. It's the comprehensive approach. So it's the medication, just not medications, right? There's the behavior, behavioral health piece to it, there's the spirituality piece to it. It's making sure the person is the right in the right frame of mind and they are they have an active voice in their treatment their treatment plan. But outside of the three medications to treat uh, this problem, um, we also have the medication to to do the reversal, rapid reversal of an opioid overdose. We know that overdoses, as we said, so 67,000 people died from a drug overdose. That's not counting the people that actually survived, right? There's so many people that actually do survive because of this rapid reversal of an opioid overdose uh, uh, drug known as naloxone. And so if you're a family member and you have somebody that is struggling with substance use disorder, it's very important that you understand how to apply uh, or use the uh, use naloxone, ensuring that it's in, in a space that it's readily accessible as the patient is going through their treatment program because... We know that relapse is very, very common. And so as family members, this is where we, we, we join forces with our loved ones to help them through this process and, and, and support them. The more support we can give them, I didn't say enabled, but the more support that we can give them, the more you help them through this treatment process. And eventually, uh, God willing, it, it all, uh, it, it turns the corner for them. So your work and commitment to those suffering with substance use disorder is impressive. And this experience is changing or has changed their lives. Now, what experience can you share with us today that has changed your
1: life? Oh boy, that's I don't I don't know whether we have the time to uh, <laughs> you know discuss this. But um, you know, I think just I, I, I want to keep this very baseline uh, because I think we may, we can sometimes get more intellectual in these things, but just to see. So I have one of the things, when I started, when I started in Tarkov, I, I believe in 2011, uh, I have paid, I have, right now my chief chef, my chief chef yes. uh, came through the program. Yeah. Okay. I have many staff that came through the program. And to just to, to, number one, for them to allow us to, you know, try to come alongside them and be able to assist uh, in their sort of trajectory and recovery. Uh, is fantastic and wonderful Two, just to see the transformation that they go through uh, during the process. One of the things I've learned is that real, you know, um, real recovery usually is a uh, a journey. It's yeah. not a number. One, it's not a one size fits all number one, and it's a journey. It's a almost a lifetime journey, yeah. and to have to a lot of the patients that have come through our program many of whom are working for the program to see the transformation, to see from their very first day they came through our doors mm-hmm. and to see the transformation, the healings, the, the, uh, 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 the recovery, many of whom have been able to purchase homes. Many of whom have been able to reunite with their families. Mm-hmm. Many of whom have been gainfully employed. Many of uh, it's just wonderful. It's just, uh, to be able to see the willpower uh, 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 of people that have been sort of given a second chance. Uh, mm-hmm. as, you, as you talked about, the overdose related death, uh, as you mentioned, even one person dying yes. is, is, is crucial, yes. let alone over almost 70 people, All these yes. almost 70,000 people died some few years ago. And so just to see the transformation of people, just to see the resiliency. Uh, uh, of our patients who come through uh, The donam. I'm not going to be uh, I'm not going to uh, just sugarcoat everything There's been also challenges of people That have had to come through our doors Or have many episodes 5, 7, 10, 15 Different times coming through uh, The program which we like Because at least they know we are, Our doors are open, open yes. For them to be able to anytime they want it Because you can't force somebody to get recovery yes. However uh, the majority of our success is, is that we've seen a lot of transformation uh, with the patient, and 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 for me, that is a wonderful sight to behold.
0: Yes, I I remember the story uh, of your chef when we when when we visited your um, the facility when you opened it, and it was absolutely touching to to hear that 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 young man's journey. To now, He went from being a patient to now he is part of the team that helps people, right? Because nutrition is a very big part to all of this. Most of the people that come into your facility have not been living the best life prior to them entering your facility. And to have someone with lived experience that says, look at me, I can show you that you can do it. I was you a few years ago. And and that is such a, uh, a very valuable point. And I know not just him, a lot more of your staff have the lived experience experience as well. But he's someone that they, because food brings people together, right? Uh, He's someone that I know that they will connect with uh, quite a bit. And it was an absolutely impressive. I remember when he was talking, literally, I was tearing up because you could see that he now had a renewed sense of confidence in himself. And he knew the road that he had traveled. And you could see the confidence that he was not going to go back down that road that he has now seen. He knows Successful living is like how to live a genuinely and it, it success doesn't mean lots of money But to be in that place where my pe- my mind is at peace And I no longer have these struggles because remember we talked about it being a, a, a chronic brain disease, a complex disease of the brain and to have someone who has overcome that and now is working at the facility to serve as a mentor uh, 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 to others is absolutely fascinating and so I do I, I can imagine from your standpoint as well to watch the growth of people from the day that they showed up to the end, the day that they walk out and you knowing that they're walking out in confidence and you're confident that you will not see them again because as you have instilled in them the tools to 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 deal with this, because it is a lifetime, right? You're never uh, free of this. It is a you're in recovery forever because there's the the constant temptation is going to be there. Because again, this is a this is about the brain. Uh, it reminds me of um, when I was in Iraq treating patients, and you know, they bring patients in that are severely injured, and you have done every single thing you can. You fix them, and some of them. Really, even though they're in and out of it, your voice is something. And I remember distinctly a patient, uh, that I had treated, uh, and this was probably one of the very first ones that we treated. This is in, in 2000, uh, 2006. And he, he, We treated him. We evacuated him out. I was kind of like the first, uh, maybe the second level of, 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 of treatment, uh, that they tend to get before they go to like the hospital treatment where they get surgeries and stuff. But, but he, he came in. He's in and out per se of it. He's severely injured as an IED blast, treated him and he could hear my voice as I'm telling people what to do. And we're kind of working as a team. Now fast forward, we get, uh, we are all redeployed. He comes to the clinic for something else to be seen. He's now well, uh, from this, from this injury. He comes to the clinic and I I don't remember because in that year I treated 7,500 trauma patients, right? And so I don't necessarily remember his name, his face, but I'm talking and he hears my voice in the other room Mm -hmm. and he immediately comes over and he says, you treated me in Iraq. And I thought, "Why? what? He says, yeah. He said, your voice. I just remember hearing your voice over and over in the room as you were treating and as you're telling people what to do. I just heard your voice the entire time. And when you talk about the feeling of you the satisfaction that oh my God, My wor- I did something that saved someone's life and my voice remained with this person for, I mean, because this was very early on. So you're talking about a year later and he still held on and all he could remember, I, he does not know what I look like. He didn't know anything, but that voice spoke to, when he heard me speak again, he knew that I was the person that was in there. And he says, thank you so much for all you did for me that day. And Bernard, I was crying and <laughs> Maybe all I do is cry. <laughs> I feel like i have always crying. But all uh, I like did um, was cry because you treat so many, and we follow them, we follow them, and all the way till they make it to the United States because, again, there's the anxiety of yourself. Like, did I do everything right? Did I do everything right? And then they make it to the States, and now they're at Walter Reed, and you said, okay, they're in, in, in good hands. I mean, even if they make it to Baghdad, they're in good hands. But to see him a year later and, and remembering the injuries he had because he was the first patient, remembering the injuries he had, and to he- hear him say thank you for what... What you did that day is absolutely—it uh, sticks with me, and I, I know you get so much of that uh, because you have saved—and I'm going to use the word "saved" through God's through God's help. You have saved so many people. That facility uh, and well, the the, the fire that you guys have have saved so many lives. You've you've, you've you're, you're present when they needed you to be there and you're not related. You have no, you know, no personal ties to them. It's the work of God. You're helping people because that is what God has put you on this earth to do. So thank you for your work uh, on, on continuing to save lives. And I hope that Turk house continues to grow uh, and many more facilities uh, continue to be established, uh, be it across Baltimore or across the United States. Uh, it's it's a, it's a need everywhere, especially in our rural communities. Now, um, uh, i'm going to talk a little bit about africa um what's okay. your take on because because this platform is really it, it's it's it has so many uh branches and arms and legs to to this platform but but most importantly is is how we can reach uh our people in africa to to see the problems that we have but these are not problems that just are in africa They see that they're, they're these problems are sometimes global but the differences that other people are doing things about it and we are ignoring the the problems in some cases, not in all. So what's your take on substance use disorder in Africa? And, oh, let me stop there. What's your take on substance use disorder in Africa?
1: I think hmm, that's, that's a that's a mouthful of a question. Um, you know, I think both from your end and my end, I mean, that's where our heart is. That's where we're from. And so, um, but I think with Africa now, I think, uh, especially for me, I, it's, it's, it's kind of, Interesting that uh, you were sharing uh, the challenges in Sierra Leone with Tramadol. It's the same mm-hmm. thing that we, I'm, I'm hearing in Ghana as well, yeah. where I'm from. with the same medication, Tramadol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, but I also know that, you know, they are the related. Fentanyl is fentanyl the here, fentanyl is going to probably be there as well. Yeah. But I think the issue with Africa right now uh, with respect to addiction is more education. Uh, there's a lack of education to be able to really comprehend the severity of the disease. And and one of the things with Africa is also that uh, everything is couched in sort of a religious, um, from a religious lens. And so, you know, when people see these things going on, uh, I don't know about Sierra Leone, but from where I'm from uh, it's mostly, I refer to as witchcraft and all these other, uh, craziness that goes on, mm-hmm. and so that is the challenge um that I think from the african standpoint I think it's more education and awareness number one to the to the to this to the presence of the disease and then number two being able to marshal efforts to be able to combat uh the onset of it I think our governments uh, they don't pay i, I, I think they I, I don't i don't even think uh uh, I could be wrong, so don't quote me on it, yeah. uh, but a little that I've read upon uh, doesn't uh, sort of gear itself to governments uh, really highlighting and spending some yeah. uh, uh, greater portions of their budgets yeah. to combat this debilitating disease. Yeah. And for me, I think that my, my take on it is that uh, yeah. there's a lack of awareness and education. And, and and it's typical of our continent. By the time they, they, they sort of, Uh, Awaken to it is sort of too late uh, And you know, it brings to mind for me AIDS uh, uh, And and all these other diseases that have come to fruition Where we are sort of, we are always the last uh, 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 To know or to try to address And I don't know whether it's by design or what But Mm -hmm. I think this is where, you know um, uh, uh, Media like yourself uh, really, I'm I'm particularly excited that really we are highlighting these things yeah. in these forums so that at least we can begin the process of uh, uh, putting together a, a coalition to be yeah. able to address and educate and inform our government to be able to address these things. So, yeah, this yeah. is where my yeah. take is.
0: Definitely. Um, I, I agree with you. I think... Um there's there's the the part where our pharmacy control is a little is a little this is my take on it as well uh the the Pharmacy control is a little different in, in, at least in Sierra Leone than, than in, um, um, than in the United States, right? I cannot go up to CVS or any sort of, uh, pharmacy and, and say I'm ready to buy Tremadol, right? And they sell it to me, right? It it just doesn't work that way. Um, and, and again, I don't want to, this is how it used to be. Maybe we've caught up with times now in Sierra Leone. I'll find out when I, when I get there in December if this is how it is, but, but I know that the pharmacy system, uh, is very easy, right? I could go up and if I know what I want, as I'm a physician assistant, I could say, I want, um, augmentin. I can come up with any, you know, antibiotics and, and say, I need this. And then it gets sold to me and I go about my, my merry way. I don't necessarily know if that's how the youth are getting it, but I know that, and, and, and it's sad because I know that serotonin is not only a problem because Guinea also suffers from tramadol issues, uh, because there, there's, uh, and then, West Africa as a whole now and, and I could say probably Africa as a whole suffer from this tramadol issue and and it's from younger the the youth is where it's actually starting. I agree that education is important. I don't think we have enough awareness about substance use disorder what leads to it. I read an article where Sierra Leone um did sort of uh, a one pager or so on um on the tramadol and this diaper extract thing uh and they they did they did allude to the fact that this could lead to substance use disorder now it's one thing to to put out an article uh or one pager on something but what are we actually doing doing uh about it and so uh you just gave me a good idea i think uh, this this is something that we could work on um Collaborate uh, across the the continent on some sort of panel discussion about substance use disorder. We are always late to the game. And I think it's because we're managing so many other things within the country itself, uh, these countries itself, that we are late to the game on a lot of these public health crises. Now, one of my major efforts, uh, soon to be major efforts, is maternal mortality uh, issues, right? Reducing the maternal mortality issues or being part of the solution uh, in Sierra Leone. Because again, and talking about being late to the game, where so many women—a thousand three hundred and sixty women out of a hundred thousand live births—are dying in Sierra Leone, they're the highest in the world. And then you compare that to, wow. yes, you compare that to Finland, where there's only three women dying, and in Belgium, where there are five women dying. In the UK, there are seven women dying. In the United States it is twenty-one women dying. Twenty, and America actually has the highest in on the Western side of the world, but it's still only 21 in Sierra Leone. We're talking about the thousands in Ghana and Nigeria. We're talking about the eight hundreds and the seven hundreds. Right. So, so why is that? Right. Why are we late to to the game again? And this is not a today problem. And I could say that there's some efforts being put in place to, 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 to fix the problem. But, but the, 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 um, the I don't want to use the word policy. Our, our, Policing, all right, which is probably not the right word to use in this day and age, but the the uh, <laughs> the uh, the um the way that we enforce and and what does it's not even about enforcement. We don't have the infrastructure to support these complicated issues that we have, right? That's really what it boils down to. Whether it's the yep. lack of providers, so even yep. the substance use disorder, how many people, how many addiction specialists, how many psychiatrists do we have in Sierra Leone? How many licensed professional clinical folks? do we have social workers how many do we have because mental health as a whole is not a thing that we we deal with right i i don't remember having a even a student like a counselor in my school my kids have counselors in their school that deal with all sorts of things that kids deal with in school outside of you know anything else so so it's the infrastructure problem is what i think uh is our is our is our um is our big piece. Cause with the infrastructure, then we can have the education and all of that. So we are going to, um, we're going to have to work on something to make sure that we raise awareness for our continent on, on this issue, this and so many other global uh, health issues um, or public health issues. Now I want you to give the powers to be, if you had two suggestions, you could give the powers to be on substance use disorder, Uh, and this again relates to the African continent, what would those two suggestions
1: be? Uh, One is education. Um, um, I think that there ought to be uh, a committee of some sort in in these various African countries to be able to put a committee together to be able to study uh, thoroughly um, addiction and the challenges associated with them and, 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 and number two, uh, 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 the, the, you know, being able to destigmatize, uh, uh, um, families, individuals, um, uh, that are struggling with the disease, with the disease and then building an infra- infrastructure that is able to absorb, uh, the challenges that are, that are, um, uh, uh that are presented by, uh, with addiction. But I think uh, if, if there's one thing I, I would encourage all them to do is to be able to include, uh, addiction is a public health crisis, it, to include that as part of their budget. Uh, reserve about 2% of the budget to be able to address specifically uh, 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 with addiction. And I think especially in Africa, uh, if it happen- it's happening in Ghana, uh it's gonna it's gonna travel all over the countries, all over the continent. And so each government uh, uh, um, uh is able to pledge. Uh you have the OAU we have the OAU for Africa, we have ECOWAS for West Africa, being able to pledge two percent of your uh, of your entire budget, annual budget to address uh, addiction, I think would be a great start
0: yes I I definitely those those are some very good good points and and hopefully you know the people that are listening to this are the people that need to be listening to this right so we're hoping that we have a, a good uh, 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 coalition of Africans that are listening to this uh, innovators and pioneers and and people that are like oh I didn't know that this was a an actual extensive problem. I thought just taking tramadol was, you know, would would not lead to this 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 case. And so and we didn't even delve into how difficult of a journey substance use disorder actually is, but but God willing with this conversation we are starting uh we we were at least igniting some sort of uh concern in people's in, in people's minds and 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 we can circle back on this um uh at some point. So I really like that. Uh it I know you're aware of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and Goal 3, uh, has an overarching focus on good health and well-being, specifically has a target, a goal for our topic today. Now, target 3.5 is to strengthen the prevention and treatment of substance abuse, including narcotic drug abuse and harmful use of alcohol. So the, the United Nations has pretty much given us, this is a universal call to action by the UN with hopes that world leaders would deliver on the 17 sustainable development goals by 2030. Right. And I just mentioned one of, one of those, uh, the, the maternal mortality is another one of those as well. But so before we wrap up the episode, I know that you have kind of given us the, the suggestions that you would, would make to, uh, leaders, um, but what important message would you like to share with the African community? So the the you, the me, the everyone else out there—not the, necessarily the people that make the decisions—but the African community in regards to substance use disorder. What message would you like to share?
1: I think for me, uh, uh, Sabu, I think it's action. You know, one of the one of the challenges of Africa is that we are always waiting for some governmental. Uh, uh, authority outside of Africa to come and tell us what to do. Yes. And and for me I'm tired of that. i I'm I'm forty one years old now. I've known the US existence for years, uh years on earth. And and and, and really it's action time now for yes. Africans. And, and and we've always uh, the, the, the the continent of Africa has always you know we this continent is so rich with so many things that but the thing is because we are not acting ourselves, we are looking for others to come and tell us how to act. Yes. And, and, and and that sort of cycle ought to be broken. Yes. We have thought leaders, we have intellectuals, yourself. We have, we have yes. many people that can really go into the continent mm-hmm. and begin to put pen to paper and begin to act. Yes. And so if there's anything from my end, I'm tired to write out of the situation. I don't want to go off a tangent here. I'm tired of having other world bodies. Yes global in their nature and what have you. I'm not to say that they are not doing great work. Yes, But we, we the people, yes. uh, to borrow a term from the United States, we the people of the continent <laughs> of Africa are able to act. Yes. We have the same wherewithal, we have the smart, the intelligence, the capability yes. to be able to enforce and put into action real change from within the continent. And I think if there's one word that I would say to our hearers and 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 thought leaders and think tanks, it will be it's time for action. I'm tired of the talk. We talk for years, we put things, we develop communiques, we develop articles and these are all great things. It is time to take the ideas from the paper and bring it to reality. And I think we have the people and the apparatus to be able to do it. I agree. I you you
0: absolutely this is what this is about. Literally, this platform um, outside of the faith, what this is about is to spark that innovation. We as Africans, we have to stop letting it be done to us, be done for us. But you can join us and we do it together, but I don't need you to do it to me or for me. I need you to do it with me. And we do have the ability. I have so many guests. Every month I try to focus to have a guest that's doing something in their country to address their problems, right? Not waiting for somebody else to come and do it. Now I get it, right? There's, there's, there's resource issues and there's a part to play in international organizations, but there is a significant value to grassroots organizations, grassroots community. It, us, every single one of us, you, me, community, uh, uh, youth and uh, religious leaders, everyone has a part to play. And as I'm in, uh, embarking again upon this journey of maternal mortality, that's what it is about. It's like, that's where I came from. Who better to go back and be part of the solution to the local problem. It is my problem. It is not the international organization's problem. Great that they're yep. there to help us because we want to meet what the UN's call to action has, has, has asked of us. And we're we, we are not set up, whether it's an infrastructure resource right. wise, to do it. But why are we not doing it with them? Why are we the ones that we we're not even, you know, that we help them? to implement their plan. Why is it not our plan that's being implemented by them? Why is it not our plan? You know, because at the end of it, it has to be sustainable. And as long as someone is doing it to us and for us, it's not sustainable until they're doing it with us. Then it's sustainable. Right. And so that's the big thing. Everybody can come in and everybody eventually leaves. And if we leave it in a state that you, the African country cannot continue it on to to get us to success, then what was the point of doing it? Which is why we need to get a better handle on it. So absolutely, that is what this is about, the call to action. Let's stop talking about it. You know, as 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 they say in maybe like a rap song or something. Let's not talk about it. Let's be about it. This Let's is be about it, <laughs> yeah, right. this is the time to be about it. This is the time I'm leaving, I'm picking up my family to return to Sierra Leone to go and be about it, right? There's so much experience I've gained uh, from living here in the United States to being in the military, to working at the White House, that I can be part of a solution and may not be able to ta- tackle every single thing, but Lord knows I want to tackle every single thing. But the more that I can collaborate with brilliant minds, and there's so many brilliant people in that country and in Africa, right? As you, as you said, they're thought leaders, but... We need a little bit of motivation to get going. And we do not want to always be the statistic, right? We're the highest in this, in the bad way, right? We're the highest in this and the highest in this and the highest. Every single thing that's bad is associated with Africa. That's not one. I do not want Sierra Leone to be remembered. Every time I say I'm from Sierra Leone, people associate blood diamond, they associate Ebola. Like there's so many other things yep. that I need you to associate yep. me with, not those things. And so, but that's yep. not just me. All of us should want our countries to be represented properly, but how do we do that? We are the ones that make that happen. We're the ones that tell our narrative. We have to shape that narrative and it starts with our youth. And if we allow our youth to be, to abuse or misuse Tramadol, um, what, what story do they get to tell if they ever make it to 30? They don't get to tell a good narrative, right? So now we're known thirty years from now, of the country that had the kids or the countries that had the kids that uh were, you know, abusing tramadol. So we need to help shape our narrative. And I can be on this rant, I can go on rants. I mean it seems like every episode I have a rant, so I'm gonna try not to oh, is okay. passion. <laughs> the passion
1: of this deal.
0: Yes, it's like, come on, let's just let's just get together and, and, and figure it out. I'm willing to work twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, just to make sure that I do my part in being part of the local solution to the local problems that we have. So with that, Bernard, we're going to wrap up the episode. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor to have you on the show. And God willing, we have both raised a little awareness on addiction, its consequences, and the importance of treatment and recovery. Addiction, unfortunately, has kidnapped the lives of thousands of people, and we have lost far too many lives to drug overdose. I've had guests of the show, Ray and Marianne Massey, who lost their son to an overdose. The Masseys are one of many who have suffered a tremendous loss to the addiction crisis. I urge you all to not abandon or look the other way if you or someone you know is struggling with this chronic disease I ask you to seek help and encourage your loved ones to do the same This month is about trials and adversities and my dear listeners addiction is part and parcel to that test As we know that we all are going to get tested. We just get tested in different ways Don't judge don't shun don't minimize. Through the good and the bad in our lives, let's cling to our faith before we even get tested, and let's serve as an encouragement to each other so that we all can prioritize our faiths, that we can keep God in constant remembrance and live the life that we have left wisely. And I pray that God makes it easy for all of us to be rightfully guided. My dear brothers and sisters, I pray that this episode encouraged inspired you to seek help if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction and has shed a little light on this complex disease. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and a review and I look forward to hearing from you. Please be sure to hit subscribe so you do not miss out on any of my weekly shows and apparently my passion, which I call a rant. For more information on Bernard Bernard and the Turk House, You can connect with him at turkhouse.org. A great resource, again, for those suffering with substance use disorder is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, known as SAMHSA, which is a component of the Health and Human Services right here in the United States. They have a 24-7 national helpline number, which is 1-800-662-HELP for those facing mental health or substance use disorders. And there's a website where you can also go to find treatment services in your area, and that link is findtreatment.gov. I will also include a link to a blog post by a renowned chain of treatment centers in Ohio, uh, and I think they've also spread into Kentucky, and this treatment center is known as Brightview. This article was actually released on 31 August in support of International Overdose Awareness Day, and it is titled, Today is International Overdose Awareness Day. This is what you need to know. Now I know I said a lot of things, and you're like, I'm not going to remember be able to remember this. No worries, I will include the links in the show notes and on social media. If you have enjoyed the show again, please leave a rating. Please hit subscribe. I love to hear from you. And don't forget, I asked your question in the beginning. Send suggestions. Let's just let's start the dialogue on what we as Africans can do to start to address and combat, prevent. Let's start there. Prevent address and combat our substance use disorder problem that is starting in our youth with Tramadol. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Bernard. Hope to talk to you again soon. We're going to do that panel, brother. We're going to talk soon. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you all for tuning into the show. If you want to learn more about what we talked about today, you can visit our website, sabbatsumansure.com. If you like the show, please make sure to like and subscribe so you can get new episodes directly onto your phone. But let's keep the conversation going between episodes on Facebook at The Sabatsu Mansure Journey and the same on Twitter and Instagram. You can always find us there talking faith, resilience, empowerment, and our beloved Mother Africa. Thank you again for your support. See you back here next week.